Welcome to Living with Reality, a podcast featuring archived teachings and modern conversations with Dr. Robert Svoboda, brought to you by the Be Here Now Network. Living with Reality explores Ayurveda and other wisdom traditions of India, which Dr. Svoboda has been studying for nearly 50 years. For more information, please visit BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Dr. Svoboda. That's D-R-S-V-O-B-O-D-A. Hello, and welcome to the Living with Reality podcast. I'm Paula Crossfield, your host and Dr. Svoboda's media manager. This week, our episode is Dr. Svoboda telling the stories of Dittatreya. And this was a special talk that he gave on Guru Purnima, which was July 23rd in the Western Hemisphere, um, the honoring of our teachers. So we hope that you enjoy this episode. If you are interested in learning more with Dr. Svoboda, you can go to drsvoboda.teachable.com and there are an array of courses there on all the different topics of the Indian sciences. We think that you'll enjoy them. So here's the episode. Om Shri Guru Bhyo Namaha Harihi Om Guru Brahma Guru Vishnu Guru Devo Maheshwaraha Guru Sakshat Parabrahman Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Akanda Mandala Karam Vyapyam Yena Characharam Tatpadam Darshitam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha Om Om Sat Guru Dat Avadhuta Sadashiva Narayana Guru Om Tat Sat Jai Ganesha Om Namishivaya Jai Ma Narayana Kilaguru Bhagavan Namaste Om. And happy Guru Purnima to everyone. In honor of Guru Purnima, we will salute Guru Dattatreya. Guru Dattatreya, who, whose name has two separate but related meanings. The first meaning is Datta Atreya. That is, he was donated to or given to the Rishi Atri. Atri, when it becomes a patronymic, when it changes into a name that reflects the name of one's father, becomes Atreya. The other meaning is Datta plus Treya. He is the one who has given up the three, the three being the three Mahagunas, Sattva, Rajas, and Tamas. So Dattatreya is very much both in the Vedic camp because of his father, the Rishi Atri, and the post-Vedic camp. The that which emerged after the Veda, from the Veda. 
He is regarded in many parts of India as an incarnation of all three of the Trinity, Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, who became the Trinity after the Vedic era. So the Vedic era, the Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, they were respected in a different way. They were different afterwards. They became much more prominent. So again, that is in both worlds. He's comfortable in both, both worlds. In some parts of India, he is regarded chiefly as an avatar of Vishnu. But as that bhajan that I just sang one, once, Om Sat Guru Dutta, Avaduta Sadashiva Narayana. He is an Avaduta, he's given everything up. He is Sadashiva, he is the eternal Shiva, and he is Narayana. So some people regard him as, yes, an avatar of all three, but even more an avatar of Shiva, which in a way is even more appropriate in one way because Shiva was Dattatreya's disciple. Shiva himself became Dattatreya's disciple because it was Dattatreya who first developed the spiritual path called Agora. The path that involves spending time in cremation grounds, consuming intoxicants, involving oneself with extremely difficult situations and becoming comfortable with those situations. And so Dattatreya is really difficult to pin down and that's the way that he wants it. He doesn't, he doesn't want to be regarded as being sectarian in any way. People try to make him sectarian, but he is beyond the three gunas. So he has to be beyond all kind of sects and, 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 and ideas and opinions and so on. Several Upanishads are dedicated to him, including the Dattatreya Upanishad, the Darshana, the Avaduta, the Shandilya, the Jabala, the Narada Parivrajaka, the Bhikshuka, and the Yajnavalka Upanishads. He is regarded as having as being the author of the Avaduta Gita, Avaduta Gita, the song of the free soul. Avaduta literally means shaken off. If you shake off some dust from your feet, you shake off dirt from your body, you shake off any kind of abnormal influences that are disturbing you, spirits or whatever. But also it indicates that you have shaken off the world. You have rejected it. You have neglected it. You have discarded it. You're not concerned with it. You may be moving in it, but you don't really care about it one way or the other. Dattatreya is regarded as being immortal. He leads a completely unpretentious life. He is kind to everyone. He's represented in different ways. In Maharashtra, where he is very much beloved and prominent, he is often shown with three heads 
and six hands. One head for Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, three heads, and two hands for each one of them, so therefore six hands. But other temples saw him with just one head and two hands. Generally, he is shown with one cow, which represents Mother Earth, who nourishes all living beings, and with four dogs, who represent the four Vedas. And that's an indication of just how transgressive he is, because even though dogs appear in the Veda, they are generally regarded as being somewhat unclean. And certainly in the classical era, the dog is the vahana, the vehicle of Bhairava, the very intense and terrifying form of Shiva. So even though Dattatri is often shown as being very mild and comfortable and calm, there is a side of him that is very much not sattvic. There is a rajasic side of him, a tamasic side of him, but he is beyond all of those. In those images in which you see him, he is often shown as being dressed just like a simple renunciate, a simple monk, a simple wandering mendicant. But because he is often referred to as digambara, which means clad in the directions, that means that in one sense, whether literally or figuratively, he is naked, clad in the directions, means having no clothes, and which is appropriate, again, because he is let go of those three gunas. And the three gunas are one of the avaranas, one of the, one of the coverings that keep us from recognizing the supreme reality. His birthday is regarded as being the full moon of the lunar month of Margashirsha, which falls in November or December. It's called Datta Jayanti. This year it will be December the 18th. Dattatreya was born to Atri, who was a rishi. He was one of the seven rishis. He is the rishi who is most mentioned in the Rig Veda. In fact, the fifth mandala, the fifth section of the Rig Veda, is called the Atri Mandala. And the 87 hymns that are in it are attributed either to Atri or to his descendants. His mother was named Anasuya. And Anasuya is a word that means absence of envy. So she was a woman who had no envy, no jealousy, and that was, that's a very wonderful thing, to be able to be free of envy and jealousy. There are many stories, several different versions, of how Datatre was born. I personally am fond of the version that Vimalananda told, which is the one that I'm going to tell here. And what Vimalananda said was that because Anusuya was not envious, that meant that everybody else was envious of her. They wanted to be without envy, but of course they did it by being envious, which is sort of self-defeating, really, when you think about it. And not only were ordinary people envious of her, even Lakshmi, Saraswati, and Parvati, 
who were the consorts of Vishnu, Brahma, and Shiva, even they became envious of her. And they became so envious and so upset that one day they got together and decided that they should tell their husbands to go and disturb her penance so that she would not be as impressive as she had been. She would not be standing out anymore. She'd be more like everybody else with some, some, some imperfections in that regard. And Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva resisted a little bit, but as Vimalananda tells it, they were henpecked husbands and they gave in to their wives and they decided that they would cooperate and go disturb her penance. And as Vimalananda pointed out, because they had no right to disturb her penance, their mission was doomed to failure from the very beginning. But they started off anyway. They went to the hermitage, the ashrama of Atri and Anasuya. They chose a moment when they knew that Atri would be away. And that, of course, was also not exactly kosher because... But they knew that if Atri was there, he would, it would not be good for them. They might get cursed. And so they waited for Atri to go away. And then they came into the ashram. They were disguised. Disguised as sadhus. Begging sadhus. So Anusuya invited them in. And Atiti, Devo, Baba, a guest has to be treated like, treated like God. So Anusuya asked them what they would like to eat. And they said, we will eat whatever you serve us, but please feed us only after you become naked. That is our desire. And as Vimalananda pointed out, this was their second mistake because they had no right to insist on such a ridiculous thing. Therefore, it was time for them to experience the result of these evil karmas that they had performed. So, Anusuya was naturally taken aback a little bit, thought about the situation for a moment, and then went over to her husband's kamandalu, his water pot that he would carry around when he was going out to sit for meditation somewhere. And she took some water from it, and she sprinkled it on those three sadhus, Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva. And she said, Shishavat Baba which means become like babies. And suddenly, they were turned into babies. Then Anusuya took off her clothes and became naked. She not only took off her ordinary clothes, she took off the three coverings from her ego, the three gunas, the five elements, and the six tastes. So she became completely free of all qualities whatsoever. And this was particularly noteworthy because Brahma is the personification of Rajas, Vishnu is the personification of Sattva, Shiva is the personification of Tamas. So by getting rid temporarily of those three qualities, she went beyond the province, she went beyond the power of these three forces. And so she was now free of their influence completely. And she was now naked, so she was satisfying their desire. 
and each one of them she took in turn and nursed from her own breasts. And by doing that, she completed their request also. And she did it with her own breast milk, her own stanya. And that means, as Vimalananda used to say, she created in them a strong obligation because when you're drinking the milk of your mother, there is really, it's going to go and, and turn into your body. You not only grew in her womb, but now she's feeding you even more, even after you're born out of your body. And that's something that is very difficult to pay back. And she was, of course, deliberately doing this because she had not gone out to try to uh, inveigle the three the chief gods of the universe, but once they arrived there, why not take advantage of the situation? So she, she was enjoying feeding them, and she was enjoying the fact that they could not be embarrassed because, really, how can a baby be embarrassed? He has no knowledge of, in, this, in the way that, that grown-up people do. He has no knowledge of that a breast is supposed to be a sexual thing if you're a, a grown-up person. All the baby knows is the breast is a source of milk. So when you're either too young to know or when you're too advanced to care, then you don't bother about people's bodies. You're only interested in what's in your heart and what's in the heart of other people. So after a bit, she, after feeding them, burped them, I'm sure, put them down, set them to sleep, and sat back and was enjoying the situation quite extensively. Atri came back to the hermitage and was overwhelmed with joy at, at seeing what had happened and sat down and started to, and, and saluted his wife and told her how brilliant she was. And then sat down also to wait and see what was going to happen next because obviously something exciting was going to happen next, whatever it was going to be. So Atri and Anasuya were sitting quietly Lakshmi, Saraswati, and Parvati were not sitting quite so quietly because their husbands had not come back and they were wondering where they were and they were wondering whether they had succeeded in their mission and they were wondering all this. So they were not in a serene situation. And who knows how long they would have waited, but fortunately for them, Narada, the celestial troublemaker, showed up and said, oh, uh, you're missing your husbands, I see. Well, it just so happens that they went down and they tried to outfox Anasuya, but, but that didn't work out so well for them. So they are now babies and they're not going to be able to find their way home. And if you want them back, you'd better head down there yourselves. And so uh, Lakshmi, Saraswati, and Parvati had no choice. They went down there. And they saw that they had to be very polite. And they said, Oh, Atri ji and Anusuya ji, namaste, pranam. And we're uh, looking for our husbands. Please give them back. And Anusuya said, Go right ahead. They're sleeping over there. Select your husband and take him away with you. But of course, they could not identify their husbands because 
each one of them had become separated from that quality that characterized them so carefully. Brahma was no longer associated with Rajas, Vishnu with Sattva, or Shiva with Tamas, and how could they be identified then? So that was a problem. Now, not only are they embarrassed, they're the, 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 these, the three goddesses are feeling uh, confused and, generally speaking, at a loss for what to do next. So Anusuya, because of the greatness of her own personality, decided to permit them to proceed ahead with their own lives she felt like she had enjoyed the situation long enough. And so she allowed the three gunas to return to her. And once she did, she was able again to identify which baby belonged to which guna. She delivered the appropriate baby to the appropriate wife. And then Anusuya restored them to their normal forms. And then they were kind of embarrassed also. And what are you going to do in a situation like this when you're feeling embarrassed and you've busily been drinking the breast milk of this woman who you were trying to pull the wool over the eyes of? You'd better bless them, bless her with something. So each one of them blessed Anusuya that she would have a great and wonderful child. And Brahma blessed Anusuya that her child will be Soma, the moon. And Vishnu blessed her that her child would be Datatriya, and Shiva blessed her to say that her child would be the Rishi Durvasas. But of course, really, Datatriya received the qualities of all three gunas and the ability to go beyond all three gunas, not only because he had the three gunas in him because of these three deities, but also because his mother had already learned how to go beyond the three gunas, and she passed that on to him. So really, we have to think of him as being an incarnation of all three. And this is also why he's called Digambara, because he can take off the clothing of the world whenever he wants to. He can put it back on whenever it's convenient. And it matters not in the least to him because he has become really comfortable with being completely naked, naked in the sense of having none of the three gunas. So what he wears or does not wear will depend only on what, how he is trying to present himself to whoever he presents himself to. After he was born and blessed by these three gods and carefully brought up by his parents, he went out on his own. And back at that time, normally, you would go and find a guru, someone who would teach you the Vedas, and then you would connect to reality, and then you would do your own things, and so on. But Dattatreya did not have one special particular guru, unless we consider reality to be his guru. Dattatreya had 24 gurus, and none of them knew that they were acting as his guru. The first guru was, for Dattatreya, was the earth. 
He observed the earth. He saw that the earth was steadfast, productive, always following her dharma, being abused by everyone, but healing and continuing to nourish despite the abuse. And the lesson that he took from the earth was to remain undisturbed even if you were oppressed and injured by others. We call that forbearance. Guru number two was water. Water serves everyone without discrimination, purifies and gives life to everyone. As long as it flows, water can be helpful, clean and, and health-giving. If it stops flowing, it stagnates. The lesson of water, don't discriminate against anyone, don't be arrogant, purify and cleanse all, and always keep moving. Guru number three was the fire that burns everything and produces heat and light, purifies and transforms everything it comes in contact with. The lesson, purify and transform everything you come in contact with. Give light and warmth to the world. Guru number four, air. It moves ceaselessly. It touches everything and everyone, but it remains unchanged and unattached. The lesson, be free like the wind, provide freshness to all without attachment. Guru number five, space. Space has no boundaries, no limits. It's unaffected by clouds and storms. It's big enough to contain the sun, moon, and stars, but it's unaffected even by them. The lesson, the Atman, the Supreme Self, the soul, has no limits, is undifferentiated, and remains completely unaffected by matter and materiality. Guru number six, the moon. It waxes and wanes, but it is still the moon. Its oneness as the moon does not change. The lesson, pleasure and pain, loss and gain, birth and death, rebirth, cycle of existence, none of that changes the oneness of the soul, which is a continuous reality. Guru number seven, the sun. It draws up water and then releases it as, as rain. That rain falls on the just and the unjust alike. Also, after the rain is over, the sun is reflected in the puddles on the ground. It looks unique. It seems to be unique in each puddle, but it is the one sun alone, the same sun. The lesson Gather knowledge from everywhere, transform it into practical wisdom, and share it with everyone. And even though the soul appears in different bodies as if it was different, yet the soul is the same in everyone. Number eight, pigeons. A hunter once ensnared a nest of baby pigeons. They cried piteously. The mother bird and the father bird tried to rescue them, but they also died. The lesson, even noble desires can entangle and ensnare you. Number nine, the python. The observation, the python lies in one place. It doesn't bother to go out hunting. This is tradition, actually, they do go out hunting. But tradition says, the python lies down and eats whatever it comes your, its way. And after it eats, it doesn't eat again for a long time. 
the lesson. Accept whatever comes your way. Don't run after th- desires. Be content with what you get. Make the most out of the gifts of life. Number 10, the ocean. The ocean receives rivers from everywhere, but it always remains the same, whether the rivers are full of water or empty of water. It maintains its own level. The lesson, receive all joy and misery without being disturbed by them or distracted by them. Maintain your balance and peace at all times. The moth flies directly into the flame that kills it. And this has a double lesson, a a good one and a not so good one. The not so good one is if you trust your senses and, and trust what you're allured by, it will be the cause of your destruction. But if when you discover the flame of knowledge, plunge directly into it, be consumed and be transformed. Number 12, the bumblebee. It's active, works hard, visits flowers, but is selective, never overconsumes, hums, hovers, dances, that means uh, entertains the flower, and pollinates, serves the flower. The lesson, go directly to the sources of knowledge, seek wisdom from all sources, take only a little nectar from each, and enrich each. Number 13, the honeybee. It collects more nectar than it needs, but it transforms it into honey, which it shares with others. The lesson, gather wisdom from all, transform it, and share it. Number 14, the elephant. A wild bull elephant was attracted through lust to a tame cow elephant who was used as bait. And then the wild bull elephant fell into a pit and then was enslaved and tamed. The lesson, don't lust after anything or you will be trapped by your senses and enslaved by them. Number 15, the deer. It listens intensely, but the hunter's music lures it and it is caught. The lesson, words can entrance us, beware. Number 16, the fish. The fish is swimming along, minding its own business, but it sees the bait. It's attracted. It grabs hold of it, and it dies. The lesson, the world is the bait, and every time you remember the fish, you can avoid the hook. Number 17, the courtesan. One day, there was a courtesan named Pingala who was eagerly awaiting a particular client. She waited and waited till late at night, but he never came. Finally, she became disillusioned and she thought, alas, how stupid I have been. I have been waiting for someone who wants my body and nothing else. If I had sought God and loved God as much as I loved this man, I would have attained to God by this time. And after deciding this, she went ahead and did that and attained to God. The lesson. Many people prostitute their time, their self-respect, and their principles for various reasons, but they feel dejected. It would be better for them to seek meaning in life, to seek the spirit, to seek reality. Number 18, the kite. A kite is a raptor, like a hawk or a a falcon. 
The kite was flying along with the big chunk of meat in his beak, and other words, uh, other birds were harassing him. But when he dropped the piece of meat, the other birds left him alone and went after the piece of meat. The lesson, renunciation, not possession, is the secret to survival. Number 19, the baby. The baby cries when it is hungry, and when it is full, it will stop eating, even if the mother tries to continue to feed it. The lesson, demand only what you really need and take only what you really require. Number 20, the young maiden. She is a poor girl, but she is trying to always follow Dharma properly and feed her family and guests properly. As she cooks, she tries to avoid attracting attention to herself, so she removes all of her bangles except one on each wrist so they will not make noise. The lesson, where there is a crowd, there is the noise of disagreement. In solitude, there is peace. Number 21, the snake. The snake makes no hole for itself. It rests in natural holes or the holes made by other creatures, and then it moves on. And the snake periodically sheds its skin and leaves the dead skin behind. The skin is also a kind of a, a house for a, a living being. The lesson, adjust to your environment. Don't settle into a permanent abode. Find places to rest and then move on. Remove your old ideas, just like a snake molts its skin, and rebirth yourself. Number 22, an aerosmith, a man who makes arrows. He was so lost in his work of making arrows that he completely failed to notice that the king and the entire army had walked by, making a lot of noise. The lesson, become so involved in whatever task you are performing that your awareness becomes so subtle that you ignore everything in the outside world and pay attention only to the ultimate. Number 23, the spider. One day a spider spun a web and then a larger spider arrived and started chasing the smaller spider. The smaller spider rushed to its own web to take refuge in it, but it was running so fast that it got entangled in the web and the larger spider caught it and ate it. The lesson, don't get entangled in your own web of complicated actions. And the 24th guru, the caterpillar. A caterpillar was caught by a bird and put into the bird's nest. As the bird began to sing, the worm became so absorbed in the song that it forgot how much danger it was in. The lesson is, become absorbed in nada, the eternal sound that is always within you, and let the world go on its way, being aware that you are going to die, just like the caterpillar was aware of that, and let your mind be completely focused on that supreme reality so that when you, are di when you do die, 
that's where you will go. It's also the case with the caterpillar, and of course this is true of the other gurus. There are many ways that they can be, these stories can be interpreted. It's also true with the caterpillar that it has to live enclosed in a cocoon for many days, but ultimately it becomes a moth or a butterfly. Similarly, you should sit quietly, cocooned within yourself, do your sadhana, and be transformed. So, the Tatreya wandered. He took his own advice. He wandered around. And because he, wandering is a, 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 a big, an important quality associated with Datatre, in many places, for example, very prominently in Girnar, which is in Gujarat, and in Banaras, down near Manikarnika Ghat, there are Datta's Padukas. Paduka means his sandals, not they're images of his sandals, not his original sandals. And people worship in that way, not the image of Datatari, but they worship his lotus feet. Because from the perspective of the guru, that's what you should be focusing on. You should be focusing on the feet of the guru because it is through the feet that the energy of the guru comes to you. Dattatreya was interested in having students that were good students. And he realized that most students were not that great as students and because they were focused on externals, not on the essence. So he developed the test of sitting with his students around him, drinking wine, and having a beautiful shakti that he had created from himself sitting on his lap. Most of his disciples were orthodox, they were disgusted by this, and they left because they could not see through the outer appearance. They could not see through these clothes of the guru. These were also his clothes. He was creating clothes and getting rid of them as he pleased. Eventually, only one disciple was left, and that was Shiva himself, and that is how that disciple became the Adinat, the original of the, the, the first knot. There are many knots. They are also immortal. Machendranath, Gorakshanath, Jalandranath, for example. And their motto is Alak Niranjan. Alak means Alaksha, free from attributes or determinative signs. Niranjana means completely free of any fault, stain, or blemish. And the only thing that is completely free of attribution, discrimination, fault, blemish, stain, is the absolute reality with no qualities whatsoever. Dattatreya was regarded as being the guru of Parashurama, who was Vishnu's sixth avatara. And Many of the lessons that he taught Parashurama are to be found in the famous book, the Tripura Rahasya, the mystery behind, beyond the Trinity, which is a, a text on Advaita Vedanta. Vimalananda uh, was particularly fond of this teaching that was attributed to Dattatreya. Raja Jogi Agnijal Kabinakijiya Preet. Are in 
In English, that means, oh, Parushurama, pay attention now. Never befriend a king, a yogi, the fire, or water. But if you do befriend them, then tend to that friendship very carefully because their nature, the nature of all four of them, is very contrary. The king can give you riches at one moment and sentence you to death the next moment. The fire can cook your food or the fire can burn you. Water can wash you, water can drown you. If a sadhu is pleased with you, a yogi, if the yogi is pleased with you, he can do great things for you. If the yogi is angry with you, he will ruin you completely. Dattatre has, a, being immortal, has appeared to many people, and many people, many saints in India, including Baba Kinaram on top of the Girnar mountain, and to Eknath Maharaj, who was one of Maharashtra's greatest saints, and thanks to whom we have the Nyaneshwari. His guru, Eknath's guru, was named Janardana Swami. And nobody really remembers Janardana Swami except because he was the guru of Eknath. People remember Eknath. While he was a boy, Eknath heard a voice telling him to go to Janardana Swami. He Janardhan Swami was the ruler of a fort, the fort at Daulatabad or Devagiri or Deogard. And it is said that Dattatreya met, gave darshan to Janardhan Swami in a cave in Daulatabad and also appeared to him again in the form of his incarnation. In Maharashtra, they say there are, have been several incarnations of Dattatreya, including Shripad Sri Vallabha, incarnation number one, and Narasimha Saraswati, incarnation number two. Eknath served Janardhan Swami very faithfully for many years, was never taught anything, and never complained. Janardhan Swami, meanwhile, had put Eknath in charge of the treasury. And Eknath was, one night, having some trouble balancing the books. And he kept trying to find out what was going on. He was off by one single pi. A pi is a fraction of a cent. Finally, he, dis he discovered it. He was, his joy was very great. He shouted in enthusiasm, Eureka, or the Marathi equivalent of that word. And his shouts woke up Janardhan Swami. And Janardhan Swami, after Eknath explained the situation, said, if discovering this one pie has made you so happy, what do you think your happiness would be like if you discovered God? And Eknath said, Maharaj, I, I don't know how to do that. Will you please teach me? And so Janardhan Swami understood that it was time to teach him now. And so the next day, they went out on a long trip, and they ended up in a quiet, lonely place. Eknath had had nothing to eat or drink all day long, and he'd have to, had, had to do all the walking. Swamiji was riding a horse. So a very poorly dressed, unkempt man showed up with a dog behind him. And he handed a bowl to Eknath, told him to milk the dog, milk the bitch, and bring him the milk to drink. And Eknath had had nothing to drink all day, but he was not tempted. He milked the dog. He brought the bowl to 
the man, the man drank it. He said, milk the dog again and give it to your guru, Janardhan Swami. Eknath milked the dog again and gave it to Janardhan Swami. And then the man said to Eknath, go wash the bowl in that stream over there. Now, by this time, Eknath was thinking that this must be Datatriya because he always puts on an appearance that will scare people away and he always has a dog with him and he knew Janardhan Swami was very fond of Datatriya. So, Eknath, when he was going to wash the bowl, put a little bit of water in the bowl and there was a little milk remaining there and he drank it and that opened his eyes and then he could see, yes, that is Datatriya. And of course, Datatriya was well aware that he could now see him and therefore Datatriya blessed him and that was the beginning of Eknath Maharaj, all because Eknath was devoted to Janardhan Swami. So, Datatreya is an important figure, particularly in Maharashtra. Even Sai Baba of Shirdi, the famous Sai Baba, is regarded as being an incarnation of Datatreya. But Datatreya is, on the one hand, respected as in, in all of these different saints and, and, and these traditions and so on, but, but ultimately, Datatreya is beyond all of those things. We must always remember that. He is the immortal guru who takes on the gunas and removes them as is appropriate in the, in the context of the condition that he happens to be in. Thanks to his 24 gurus, he has come to a point where he is never disturbed by anything whatsoever in the world, no matter how disturbing it might seem to the rest of us. And so, on this excellent day of Guru Purnima, it is most appropriate that we should salute Guru Dattatreya and request his blessing on each one of us that we may always move in the direction of becoming freed of all the, all the obstructions, all the perversions of perception that afflict us and that we may see the ultimate reality in its true and completely undifferentiated form. Om Sat Guru Datta Avaduta Sadashiva Narayana Guru Om Tat Sat.